The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Matthew chapter 27, and I've only got four life lessons as we go through the message here this morning. Number one, Jesus took our shame and guilt upon himself. So beginning in verse 38, Matthew 27, it says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So starting here with verse um, 38, in his crucifixion, Jesus stood right in the center of sinful humanity. They placed Jesus between these two uh, revolutionaries, insurrectionists, murderers, and thieves. Probably, so why was Jesus in the middle? Probably to intimate he was the worst felon of the three. Now, one of these robbers would repent as he watched Jesus and listened to Jesus and give his life to the Lord and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus would turn to him and say, today you will be with me in paradise. And the other one did not. He yelled, screamed, was cursing against Jesus all the way to his death. So it represents two responses. What will you do with Jesus? Will you believe him and receive him or reject him to the very end? I want to also point out to you as you, and I'm praying that the Lord will help uh, all of us to paint a picture of what, where the crucifixion was. It was not in some quiet building somewhere, like today they do it inside in a little room and there's only a few chairs and they try to keep it away. But Jesus was crucified openly, publicly, in fact, on the main highway that really brought together uh, Europe and Africa and Asia. It was the main central road right by on the northern side of Jerusalem. It was a highway. And on that day, there would have been hundreds and thousands of people that walked by and seen everything that was happening. He was publicly executed. And as they witnessed that, the fact that his indictment was written, you know, the crime for which he is being crucified was written above his head in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Why? Because it reveals it was written to a very open, you know, cosmopolitan crowd that were there in the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's humiliating enough to have those passerbys come by and stare, and, but, but it was even worse than that. One of the reasons they did that openly and publicly is that people would go by and mock the very men that were being executed and crucified. Look at this again in verse 39. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. They're going, oh, so you're the one that said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Okay, do something. Show yourself now. Prove yourself now. Nothing torments a man more in pain than mockery. 
When Jesus' most needed words of love or mercy or pity or compassion, uh, they were blaspheming him, and as it says, wagging their heads. What were they mocking him for? They mocked him as a savior. You're the savior, and you're on the cross. They mocked him as a king, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. You're the king, and look at you now, crucified. They mocked him as one who had lived a holy life, supposedly trusting in God. And this is what you get. And he had also claimed, I am the son of God. And they mocked him. How could the son of God be treated in such a way? And then in verse 40, they mocked him for saying he would rebuild the temple in three days. And this we know from John, he was speaking of his body and what would happen on the morning of the resurrection, early Sunday morning. Well, let's go on to the next lesson as we take this scripture into verses 41 through 44. It is precisely because Jesus did not save himself that you and I can be saved. Beginning in verse 41, it says, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with scribes and elders said he saved others. Himself, he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Oh, man. Again, I want to say exactly what that says. It is precisely because Jesus did not save himself that you and I can be saved. In other words, it was the love of Jesus that kept him on the cross. It was not the nails. He had already said, I could call 12 legions of angels. And let me tell you what that means. There's one story in the Old Testament where the Assyrians had threatened Israel and they had, you know, several hundred thousand soldiers ready to storm and land upon and just totally destroy and take over Jerusalem. The king went before the Lord and he laid out his petition. Oh, Lord, I, we can't fight. We can't defend if only you, he, he, as a good king, he brought it before the Lord and laid it in heaven before him. And the Bible tells us that the Lord, the night before the invasion was to take place, the Lord sent one angel, and listen to this, one angel destroyed 185,000 of the enemy. One angel. Can you imagine what 12 legions of angels would have done? Oh, no. It was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. <laughs> he had plenty of angels to do his will and his bidding. He didn't come to become the king of kings. He already was the king of kings before even the incarnation. It was his love that kept him on the cross. And Jesus did something greater than coming down off the cross. He stayed on the cross and he died and therefore he paid for the sins of all humanity. And then he defeated death. He defeated the devil. He defeated everything that was against God. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead for all time and for all eternity with the keys of hell and of life and eternal life. And he said, now anybody who believes and trusts in me shall live forever and they will have the resurrection of life. Amen. So verse 44, 
This is the lowest point. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Jesus was in the lowest position. And this is the peak of God's love for man to endure this for our salvation. And it was also the, the, the peak of man's hatred against God. The only perfect human being that ever lived, that ever walked on this planet. I mean, think of it. Every time Jesus opened his mouth, heaven came out. Every time that he touched someone, disease fled. Demons were released. Life was given. And the power of the Holy Spirit would come. And we as humanity took him, nailed him to the cross, and crucified him. All the world is guilty. No wonder the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, none are righteous, no, not one. Well, look with me at this next verse. I want, I want this statement and this truth to just go into our hearts all by itself. Verse 45. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. I want you to note here, Jesus takes our rejection by the Father on our behalf. In other words, our sin is what separated us from God. But Jesus came in our place to take all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the rejection of humanity upon himself so that you and I could be received. Jesus was on the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning until noon. So the, the total was from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. That's the six hours. In the seventh hour, he went to paradise. But from 9 a.m. until noon, Jesus was on the cross between the two thieves under the sun, under the light of day. But at noon, exactly at noon, a supernatural, miraculous darkness covered the land for three hours, from 12 until 3. It was a heaven-sent darkness that lasted three hours. It was as if all creation was sympathizing now with the creator. And it was not some kind of a natural thing that, you know, like a sandstorm. It was not an eclipse. In fact, it would have been impossible for it to have been an eclipse. It was something that God did. It was something that supernaturally came. And I want you to think about this because in the Old Testament, we read the story of the children of Israel and all of the 10 plagues. And one of those was three days of supernatural darkness. You don't think that got the attention of the entire realm of Egypt, both the Jews and the Gentiles and the Egyptians. And now here on the cross, this unique man that many had thought was the Messiah, he had done miracles that no other Hebrew prophet had ever done. He spoke like no other Jewish prophet had ever spoken with power and with authority. And now he had somehow been rejected and now he's being crucified. And all of a sudden at 12 noon, the earth goes dark over the whole realm of Judea and Jerusalem. Every Roman saw it. Every Jew saw it. Everybody who was there in the vicinity not only saw it, but they felt it. It was God's judgment that removed the light of day. In fact, really, we, we, we believe this is the moment where all of the weight of the sin of the world landed upon Jesus. And while Jesus had spoken already several times, 
at least three times before the darkness fell, during the first three hours. He had said repeatedly during the first three hours, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the tense there is that he repeated this. Therefore, the the Jews who had rejected him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For the Roman soldiers that were gambling for his unique tunic that was whole without seam, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He repeated that prayer. And then he spoke to the repentant thief, said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He had also looked down and seen his mother standing there brokenhearted as the prophecy had said, a sword shall pierce through your heart. And John, the beloved disciple, standing there, and he took care of his mom. He looked down and he said, mom, pointed to John, behold your son. Son, John, behold your mother. Jesus transferred the relationship of love and care for his mom. And all of that was done during the first three hours. But Jesus said nothing for the next three hours, from 12 until 3. Now, at the very end, right near 3 o'clock, he did say several things. But for three hours, there was darkness and there was silence. And I believe it was during this time of darkness that Jesus was made sin for us. I'm using language literally that comes from the Bible. We can't fathom it. We can't understand it. It is a great mystery. But I want you to think of this. For the first time in eternity, the Son would be separated from the Heavenly Father as He took our sins on Himself. He took on our rejection so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be received. So as he went into the darkness, he was sending us into the light of healing, forgiveness, reconciliation. I want you to look at this scripture that really describes it very powerfully by the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's read this out loud. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Look at that again. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me put it to you this way. Those final three hours and on the cross and the darkness from, from uh, noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, an, an exchange happened. All of our ugliness, all of our sin, all of our immorality, all of our idolatry, murders and adulteries and, and all of the wickedness of humanity, Jesus took upon himself. And all of his holiness and all of his righteousness and all of his purity and all of his love and all of his joy and all of the spirit, he then traded and gave himself to you and me. It's the most unfair, unequal trade of all of eternity. And something that even the angels, uh, Jesus, by being able to become a human being, an incarnation, really elevates and gives us understanding. What does it mean that we were really made in the image and after the likeness of God? Jesus did not become an angel, but he came a man so that you and I might be forgiven and be welcomed into the family of God forever and ever. Amen? 
Well, let's look at verses 47 through 50, and we'll wrap this up. Verses 47, it says, Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, or wait, we have to go up to verse 45. Uh, Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there when they heard that, said, this man is calling for Elijah, which in Hebrew is Eliyahu. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. At that moment, Jesus was forsaken that we might be found. When he began speaking, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he begins in Hebrew, Eli, Eli is the name for God. But it's very close to Eliyahu or Eli is a shorter name for Elijah, the prophet. So it's understandable they didn't quite get that. But what Jesus was doing as he said, Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? It was not just some random statement, but it was literally a quotation from Scripture. Psalm 22, verse 1, begins with the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What Jesus was wanting to telegraph and and to send a message to anyone there who would listen, and as it got recorded in the Gospels, is he's quoting Psalms. It's a prophecy about when the Messiah would be forsaken so that you and I might be received. There's the trait. There's the exchange. There's the love of God that God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son to take our sins, to take our darkness, to take the separation, and literally to be forsaken in order that you and I might be found. Hallelujah. We've been found. We have been received. And God so loved the world, he was willing to have his son go through that, that he might have you and I. There's no greater love. The height and the depth and the width and the breadth, even the angels look at the love of God and and they say, this is a love beyond comprehension. They're humbled by it. They consider you and I. It's a wonderful thing for them. They're ministering spirits under the heirs of salvation. They're like, they don't see anything great about us. What they are amazed by is how much God the Father loves humanity. And therefore, they are in awe and consider it a tremendous privilege to minister to the heirs of salvation who have brought out the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. Paul the Apostle said to the church in Ephesus to explain and to experience and to understand the height, depth, width, and breadth of that love, we will never get to the, we'll never get to the height, we'll never get to the depth, we'll never get to the width, we'll never get to the breadth of it. It will take eternity to explain, to understand, and to experience that love. I mean, literally, we're in an eternal ocean of the love of God. Hallelujah. That's what God is destined for you and for me. And I leave you with this thought. 
at the very, very end, Jesus shouted, it is finished. Then with a loud cry, he gave up his spirit. You know what that tells us? Tells us that death was not in charge. Death was not in control. Death did not come and take him. The strength, the power, where he with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He chose the very moment of his death. He is in charge. He's on the throne. He rules. He reigns. He has incredible power. Even more, he has incredible love. And he lives inside of you. And he says, I want a relationship with you. And you are destined to be with me. And I'm going to share with you that you will be an heir in my kingdom. And everything that I have and all that I've enjoyed with my father throughout all of eternity, I am sharing with you. You are highly favored of the Lord. We owe him everything. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.